0: SOFIA is currently the only astronomical observatory on or off this world that can observe the universe at longer infrared wavelengths. It is also the world's largest airborne observatory and is the only airborne platform with a telescope on it. In addition to being this amazing astronomical machine that SOFIA is, SOFIA is also an engineering marvel. The great potential of Sophia to make discoveries and study the mysteries of the universe drives me towards mission success.
1: Welcome back to Small Steps, Giant Leaps, a NASA Apple Knowledge Services podcast where we tap into project experiences to share best practices, lessons learned, and novel ideas. I'm Dina Nunley. SOFIA, the Stratospheric Observatory for Infrared Astronomy, is a joint project of NASA and the German Aerospace Center, DLR, that has been used extensively to look at numerous objects in the universe, from black holes to galaxies and even the moon. Nassim Rangwala is the SOFIA project scientist and joins us now. Nassim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being our guest.
0: Hello Dina, I'm really excited to be here and uh, talk about SOFIA today and thank you for having me here.
1: Oh, absolutely. What is SOFIA?
0: SOFIA Sophia is an astronomical observatory that allows uh, us to study the universe at infrared wavelengths. Uh, the mission of SOFIA is to make fundamental and impactful scientific discoveries. And generally speaking, Sophia does that by measuring um, the physical and chemical conditions of the regions uh, where stars and planets are born. So when stars are in their infancy, they're embedded in a cocoon of dust and gas. And this is why we need the infrared wavelengths to peer through that cocoon and study this really important phase uh, of, uh, of star formation. SOFIA also investigates path to life uh, by detecting chemical fingerprints of key ingredients of life um, in interstellar space and in our own solar system, Um, molecules such as water, methane, um, other carbon and nitrogen-bearing species, and then using these molecules to understand their formation pathways and path to making bigger molecules, prebiotic molecules needed to form life. And Sophia also studies astrophysical processes in galaxies and black holes. And you may have heard recently, Sophia is now studying the moon. And I'll be very excited to talk about that uh, later, if you like. Um, But also, I want to make a point that in addition to being this amazing astronomical machine that Sophia is, Sophia is also an engineering marvel. It is a highly modified Boeing 747 with a 2.5-meter diameter telescope on it. The telescope is the same size as the size of Hubble. Um, SOFIA has a complex suite of uh, instruments and, and that allows us to investigate a broad range of topics in astrophysics so in addition to scientific and engineering marvel i always like to make this point as well that sophia's mission is accomplished by a team like no other mission in astrophysics or even beyond and i'll be happy to talk about that
1: wow there's so much that we want to talk about you mentioned the moon we definitely want to get to that as we go along could you tell us more about the impact of sophia
0: Well, certainly. Um, Sophia has impacted many areas. And um, I will point out three areas here, scientific, of course, engineering, and and the public. So talking about the scientific impact, uh, Sophia's mission, uh, you know, the best ideas on what we observe with Sophia comes from our uh, science community, primarily astrophysics and the planetary science communities. And um, we have so far served more than 1,500 scientists. Um, of all career levels. And so that's the impact we are making. Uh, when you get time to observe in Sophia... Which is quite competitive. Uh, you also get funding from NASA to help analyze these data and publish them. And again, this is true for all astrophysics missions. Uh, and what this allows us to do is really help empower, uh, especially the early career scientist community. Um, I was one of them when I started my postdoctoral phase of my career, and um, uh, I got my first NASA grant through Sofia when I was a user of Sofia, not the project scientist. And that empowered me and. Uh, so that's a really, you know, one of the biggest impact that we make to our science community. Um, Sophia has a suite of instruments, as I described earlier. And when you build these instruments, you involve uh, students, postdocs, engineers, mechanical and electrical engineers, um, and, and during this development. So we are training the next generation of scientists and engineers to build these cutting edge complex instruments. Um engineering let's talk about that i mean that's really broad impact right sophia's platform is an aircraft so in addition to mechanical and electrical engineers we we have aerospace engineers and aviation expertise and so a lot of our tra- team members i have uh, learned because i'm st- you know i'm still a newbie to sophia compared to folks who've been on sophia for a long time so what i have found is that a lot of our team members who've trained and gained valuable experience working on on different phases of sophia mission that has led them to bigger and better things, both at NASA and outside of NASA. And let's talk about impact on public. Uh, You know, public... uh, From what I have seen over the last two years, they're fascinated by both uh, the science and the whole telescope on an airplane thing, right? Who cannot be? And we have flown more than 150 educators on SOFIA. And through that, we have already reached more than 15,000 students in schools across the United States.
1: That's amazing. Naseem, what makes SOFIA unique?
0: So SOFIA is uh, currently the only astronomical observatory on or off this world that can observe the universe at longer infrared wavelengths. And here we're talking about a few tens of micrometers to hundreds of micrometers. It is also the world's largest airborne observatory and is the only airborne platform with a telescope on it. And as technology advances, uh, something that's unique to SOFIA compared to other space-based astrophysics missions is that we can upgrade SOFIA's instruments um, and even build new instruments. And we have done both of them already. And this is, again, as you you know, not possible or it's not easily possible for space missions. Hubble is an exception. Um, And so this this quality or this characteristic of SAFIA allows uh, us to stay at the forefront of scientific discoveries and allows us to support studies and investigations being carried out by other NASA missions. In other aspects, Sophia's unique, uh, uh, which I've already mentioned, is that it's it's unique in astrophysics. It is the cross-section of uh, aircraft operations and science operations. So, um, you know, we get to interact with uh, pilots, engineers, flight planners, scientists, mechanics and technicians who work together uh, every day to launch a mission or every night. Um And again, uh, because we are a flying observatory, uh, what makes us uh, different uh, from other observatories around the world is that we can go to other places to observe. For example, we can go to the Southern Hemisphere uh, to observe the Southern skies that, uh, you know, we have some really popular and important astronomical targets in the Southern Hemisphere or in the Southern skies that we cannot access from here. So we fly to the Southern Hemisphere every year to do that.
1: What are the top discoveries from SOFIA?
0: there are uh, some amazing discoveries that I would like to talk about. And it's kind of the hard one, right? (laughs) Because they're all my favorite. (laughs) So I've got to start with the most uh, recent one that a lot of people have heard about when Sophia detected water on the sunlit surface of the moon. And uh, we did this by uh, detecting the 6.1 micron spectral feature that is unique to water molecules. And this was a surprise as... uh, Uh, a scientist did not really expect water molecules to survive the harsh conditions on the surface of the moon. So this was a groundbreaking result that got a lot of attention from media and the public. And I cannot tell you how many events I have done since then. And it has been just wonderful to talk about this discovery with the public, uh, especially students. Um, Another one of my favorite, and uh, that has made a lot of impact, uh, is the discovery of the first type of molecule that ever formed in the early universe. And this molecule is called the helium hydride. Uh, Scientists have been searching for decades for this molecule. Um, And uh, a a key and a relatively quick upgrade of one of our instruments uh, led to this discovery. Um, Another topic that uh, is making a lot of impact is our magnetic fields in the universe. So SOFIA has the ability To map magnetic fields now, Uh, and this is a a relatively recent uh, or new capability. And uh, but where we, what's really important here is that Sofia allows this capability on Sofia allows us to measure the cleanest signal of polarized light being emitted by uh, dust grains in the interstellar space, and through that we can infer uh, magnetic fields and their strength. And uh, this is new, and we are building an inventory of results that are showing to what degree these magnetic fields impact the formation of stars and even structures of galaxies. So there have been a lot of results in the last year. And if you want to learn more about them, they are on nasa.gov forward slash Sophia. Uh, but some of them are, uh, I'll, I'll describe it very briefly here. Uh, we can study material around black hole and what the impact of magnetic fields are on them. And are, are they helping to uh, uh, to keep the material intact around the black hole? Uh, um, and, uh, and and then also recent a very recent result that was out on NASA.gov was about a galaxy that has this supergalactic wind. Just you can think of this as huge amount of material being expelled out of this galaxy. Um, and so, using techniques from heliophysics, actually, uh, we expanded that technique and applied it to astrophysics and used this this ability capability on Sofia to understand magnetic fields or the nature of magnetic field on much larger scale than possible before. And what we are finding is that uh, in this galaxy in particular, magnetic fields might be responsible for helping us to expel material out of of this galaxy into the intergalactic medium. And why do we really care about this? Because we want to understand the life cycle of the galaxies, how they they form and how they evolve. And so again, um, uh, please check out nasa.gov where you can read about these exciting results and we have more coming up.
1: It's so exciting to hear about all these discoveries. Let's talk more about the discovery of water on the moon. How did you react to that when you found out? Like, wow, this is the data we're getting back. This is what we're seeing. What was your reaction to that?
0: Oh, I was absolutely thrilled. Uh, and I was we, we were and completely surprised because uh, Sophia's uh, the observatory itself was not made to observe the moon. Um, we never even thought of observing the moon. And this is why I love um, th- the ideas when they come from our science community. Someone, one of the lunar scientists uh, thought of this, right? Hey, we should use Sophia, And they applied. And this was a risky observation for us. And I'll tell you why. Because again, as I said, the observatory is not really uh, made to do such observations of the moon. First moon is really bright for us. Uh, and also our, uh, we have to maneuver our telescope in a very different way to precisely track the position on the moon where we're trying to get the data. Uh, so we had to maneuver our telescope in a very different way than we have ever done before. And we did not even know during that flight if our detectors would saturate or if our guide cameras would saturate. And if that happened, uh, you know what, what will be the consequences of that? Uh, so we did this observation towards the end of the flight. And what I have heard, I was not on that flight, but what I've heard is the reaction was uh, absolutely of, of, you know, complete excitement. And uh, when the scientists and even other folks on SOFIA started seeing data come through and they, they the data made sense at that time. But then it took, of course, uh, several months before we knew if we were seeing a, a positive detection, right, as, as is with any other uh, scientist. Investigation, Uh, and so when we, when I at least found out that this is this is a positive detection, um, we were thrilled. And uh, again, uh, this this kind of work doesn't just impact the lunar community, the science, but also our goal of exploration. Because if Sophia is able to uh, provide key resource maps of water on the moon, it can help missions like WIPER, uh, and it contributes to, towards the goal uh, of the Artemis mission.
1: What factors into flight planning and determining what to observe?
0: So I think I mentioned this a little bit earlier, uh, and I'm going to go into this. Uh, I can go into more detail is what, what we observe comes from the science community. Sophia is communities observatory, just like Hubble and Chandra. So uh, we release a call for proposal every year. Uh, Scientists around the world submit their best ideas uh, that are selected through a peer review process. Um, Then the selected proposals go into a a planning and scheduling software that uh, lays out a preliminary schedule over a whole year with different instruments. And by the way, we start this a year and a half in advance. (laughs) It requires a lot of planning, right? And then this schedule, this preliminary schedule gets fine-tuned as we get closer to starting the observing cycles. Uh, Flight plans are generated about two months in advance, and uh, a great care is taken when we build these flight plans because we want to optimize this very valuable time on each flight and ensure that our best science, um, we call it the highest priority science, has the highest chance of being completed. And, And so, again, these flight plans are also continually updated up to about 24 hours before the flight and sometimes even closer depending on weather forecast. Um, our flight planning uh, is also impacted uh, when we have time critical observations, such as occultations or uh, other astronomical. Like you know, if you if you are trying to observe a planet that's about to set or uh, early, or if you have uh, you know if you're observing comets, etc. So we require special care uh, when we are doing those time critical observations. Um, again, our, our flight operations home base is in Palmdale, California, so our flight plans are made in a way that allows us to return to Palmdale every morning. But we can give exceptions for science program that have very high merit, uh, and, and we can organize a short deployment in order to capture those astronomical events if, uh, if justified.
1: You mentioned Palmdale, but also you have a connection with Germany, right? Yeah. And so have you recently started a new series of SOFIA science flights out of Germany?
0: yes and so let me talk about a little bit we have a we have a very uh, strong connection with Germany because DLR uh, the German space agency is a 20% partner of Sofia and so Sofia recently completed and we are very excited to inform the first multi-flight science campaign from European soil these flights were carried out from Germany last month and so this was even extra special, right? From the, the, uh, We were flying out of Cologne, where uh, headquarters of DLR is. Um, so the series worked out really well, better than we expected. Uh, Sophia was uh, scheduled to go to Germany for a planned maintenance with Lufthansa Technik. And just before Sophia left, we made a decision to conduct science flights out, out of Germany. And at the time, there were skeptics, and rightly so, because of COVID-19, there were good reasons to doubt if we could successfully deploy our team to Cologne, Germany. But our team was determined, and with the support from our German partner, um, again, DLR, uh, we were able to organize this deployment in a record time. We completed 15 flights out of Germany and got excellent astronomical data. All types of community are impacted by the pandemic, as you know, in, in one way or the other, or, and in many ways. Um, astronomical community was impacted too and is continued to be impacted. Closures of many ground-based observatories, um, it impacts all career levels, but especially early to mid-career whose research, uh, funding, and uh, careers depend on observatories. Or data from these observatories, uh, SOFIA figured out a way to start operations uh, with new uh, safety protocols designed to uh, keep our team safe, but also allow us to continue to take scientific observations. And so our goal at this point is to provide and collect as much scientific data as possible. And this preparation allowed us to go to Germany and finish our best science for this year
1: as you talk about the science, we can really hear the energy in your voice. I wanna ask you what your perspective is as a project scientist, and that might be helpful to other NASA project scientists.
0: Wow, yeah, I know I really enjoy being the project scientist of Sophia. This is my first assignment as a civil servant, and mm. I am so grateful for this opportunity. In my role, Um, I am the chief scientist of the observatory uh, and I'm I'm describing my role just for folks out there uh, who may be uh, thinking about applying for a position like this in the future. So in my role, I am the chief scientist of the observatory and my responsibility is not only to preserve and maintain the scientific integrity of the mission, but to always think about maximizing the scientific potential of this amazing mission and leading the way to achieve as much science as possible possible and the best sciences possible. Um, But my passion uh, and really the best part of my job is to enable scientific discoveries by working with a very diverse team. um, and, and, And also my other passion is to communicate these discoveries in a way that we can continue to inspire the next generation of scientists and engineers. So, being the project scientist is, is truly a, a unique experience for a scientist. Um, it's a great opportunity to make an impact on a much larger scale. Uh, than, than you would, you know, when I was a scientist, a postdoc, I would work with, uh, you know, other scientists, but never worked with engineers, uh, or, or uh, you know, it, it never had the opportunity to make impact like this, you're working and very focused on your research, you are, uh, but, but here you are thinking about serving the community, and figuring out how you can, uh, you know, best enable these scientific discoveries. So it's a really different kind of impact you're making. And it's really amazing. It gives you an opportunity, this position, to grow in so many different areas and as a leader. Um, So I love serving the community and it has been an amazing experience and growth for me. Um, I'm also very grateful to get this opportunity much earlier in my career um, than it usually is to be the project scientist of a flagship mission like Sophia. So I encourage other scientists, if you have the opportunity to serve as the project scientist, please try it. It's truly amazing.
1: Early on in our conversation, you touched on the uniqueness of the team. Could you talk more about the Sophia team?
0: Oh, Sophia team is uh, truly exceptional uh, and it energizes me every day. you know, I never thought that, you know, when I was a scientist, that what is it what, it, what it would be to work with a team like this. And I didn't even know what I was missing, <laughs> to be honest. And so on Sophia, uh, it's a, it's, as I said, it's a cross-section of, of, of so many different expertise. Uh, we we have a science center at NASA Ames where we have uh, scientists, um, uh, data analysts, uh, people who are preparing the pipeline when the data comes from the aircraft all the way to scientific research results, uh, providing that to the community, doing science community outreach, public outreach. But then we have a whole family down in Palmdale where operations are happening. So you have, of course, uh, you know, folks who are taking care of the aircraft, and they are always in communications with us. And, you know, it's it's an amazing experience for them to know about uh, the, the whole scientific world. And they are truly driven by science and the purpose of this mission. So they are working so hard to ensure that we have a successful mission every night that we launch. Um, and so you get to interact with so many different kinds of people on SOFIA and uh, this truly exceptional team uh, is what has made it possible for us to make these scientific discoveries, but also during these difficult times of COVID uh, and a pandemic like this, we, we've been, we, we needed a team like this to, uh, to really come back to operations.
1: What's the role of women on Sophia's leadership team?
0: Oh, uh, it's actually quite, um, uh, quite strong. I mean, I, I am the project scientist and the the director of the observatory, um, the Sophia Science Center, is also a woman. Her name is Margaret Meixner, and my counterpart in DLR, uh, Alessandra Roy, is a uh, is a woman as well. So we have a, we have a strong women leadership uh, on this project. Um, and it's not just at the leadership level. Our, our team is very diverse. Uh, we have, uh, we have women uh, in our mission operations uh, team um, uh, who are, you know, flying with Sophia uh, on many missions to collect, you know, to operate the telescope, the instrument. We have mission directors who are women. Um, We have our instrument scientists. We are increasing, uh, you know, that's becoming more diverse, uh, at least speaking of gender diversity, we have more women there. So uh, we have women contributing to, to many aspects of this mission.
1: From a personal standpoint, what drives you toward mission success?
0: There are so many things that drives me towards mission success. And, you know, I, uh, I didn't even know uh, this until actually I started thinking about this over the last year. Uh, the great potential of Sophia to make discoveries and study the mysteries of the universe drives me towards mission success. The community drives me. This community that puts in all this hard work into proposing important and very cool scientific investigations. You want to get them done. The exceptional SOFIA team, the resilience and determination drives me. My own scientific curiosity drives me. The little difference that I can make to advance the knowledge of humankind and of the cosmos Uh, But finally, um, my family drives me. I have uh, a a very supportive family. I have two little girls uh, and my husband uh, and, of course, my parents. And they look up to you. They're so proud of you. Uh, How can you not work towards mission success uh, with that?
1: For sure. Will you share your story and the journey that's brought you to the point of serving as the project scientist?
0: Oh, it has been... um, Quite a journey, um, you know. When you start the journey, uh, you never know what you're going to end up, and so you just have to, uh, you know, continue to dream. Um, and uh, and so I started my journey, I would say, when I was 16 years old, um, in a small town in India, of where. There was not really much exposure to astrophysics or astronomy. I didn't know anything about it. And uh, when I was 16, I read a chapter in uh, my textbook. There was only one lonely chapter on astronomy. And that did it for me. Um, there was, the, you know, that chapter talked about distance skills in the universe and, uh, you know, that it and, and it, it showed calculation to the next star, to to, to the size of our galaxy, to the, uh, you know distance to another galaxy, and and just the, the, the you know about the distances to early galaxies, right? Uh, so that just uh, that made made me feel there is so much to learn and and, and know about space and how insignificant we are compared to. Compared to all of that. And so that triggered something in me. And that's how my interest in astrophysics started. And the only thing you know, at that point, when you're a kid in in a small town somewhere is is NASA, right? But you don't know how to get there, or you don't know anything, but you just start your journey there and you slowly make your way and you may not end up at NASA, you may not even end up doing astrophysics, but that triggers something in you, at least curiosity to pursue uh, something or at least a career in STEM, but definitely it, it triggers the the curiosity in you to pursue your career and pursue b- bigger things and bolder things. So yeah, I mean, I I started there and then I made my way up slowly. I went to I left my town. I I did my undergraduate in um, my bachelor's in in physics, and then I left India and went to England. And I kind of uh, changed my field a little bit. Like I said, you don't know where you're going to, you know, you, you have to do zigzag, right, your way through your journey. And I started, I was interested in particle physics at the time. Um, and then I came to the US. And then, uh, of course, I was back to astrophysics. And I did my PhD and then made, up my, made my way up. And uh, when I came to NASA Ames, uh, I was a NASA postdoctoral, uh, uh, had a NASA postdoctoral position. And uh, after that, I was offered uh, to be on SOFIA, to serve on Sophia. So, yeah, that's been my journey. And as I said, it's it's an amazing journey and I, I still pinch myself sometimes.
1: <laughs> oh, I can only imagine. What are the future plans for Sophia?
0: we have really exciting things coming up Uh, Sophia will be observing uh, the moon again and we'll be uh, this time mapping uh, many more locations on the moon both the the south and the north pole uh, because after we made that discovery of water on the sunlit surface of the moon we want to do more we want to find out uh, more about the distribution of these water molecules and, and, and just to understand more how these water molecules can survive on the sunlit surface so we have a really Really exciting observations coming up. So stay tuned for that. Uh, We will be, as I talked about magnetic fields in the universe, we'll be doing mapping that in many more targets. Uh, So that's coming up too. Uh, Sophia is uh, planning a Southern Hemisphere deployment. uh, And that's coming up in the summer. Um, And we are also trying new things too to make our observatory and operations even more efficient. And so we will be going to Southern Hemisphere even more uh, per year starting next cycle because there is so much demand from the community and uh, it allows us to access different targets. And we will be trying something called suitcase deployment in a year's time. That's uh, I'm excited about that. Um, and uh, we are also adding uh, additional contingency flights to help finish, uh, complete more programs on, on, on Sofia so that we can Uh, as I said, you know, what drives us is making sure we get the community um, what they asked for. And so we're trying new things on Sophia, and I'm very excited to try them and see how we can maximize the potential of this observatory.
1: Sounds exciting. Could you tell us more about Suitcase Deployment?
0: Well, suitcase deployment—we uh, uh, we, we still have to try this out. So, suitcase deployment is um, something very different from a uh, a long deployment that we do every year annually, uh, where we uh, where you can think about we just move our base from Palmdale, California, to Christchurch, New Zealand. Okay, so we 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 take our entire team there, and we're there for a couple of months. Okay, observing. Uh, a suitcase deployment will be a bit. Different. It's a shorter amount of time that you're spending outside of your home base. Uh, you know, fewer flights, and uh, so you want to go by suitcase me you take everything you need on the aircraft with you, and so you're not really changing your base or moving your base, but you're doing with what you have on the aircraft. You fly those, uh, you know, eight to ten flights, and you come back home. So it's a, it's a different way of doing uh, deployments, um, and uh, that will allow us to visit Southern Hemisphere more with different instruments. So we'll still continue our long deployment, but. We we adding more time in the Southern Hemisphere by, by figuring out how to do these quick suitcase deployments.
1: Do you get to actually go on some of the flights?
0: Oh, yes. <laughs> and and I love that. I am missing that right now quite a bit, you know, for a whole year, you know, because of pend- the pandemic. We wanted to really limit the number of people on the aircraft, of course. And I miss that. Every time I'm flying on Sofia, I'm in this zone <laughs> of... You know, just inspired and just excited to be on the aircraft. It never gets old for me. You know, uh, Dina, when you enter the observatory, you know, it's a it's a Boeing 747 SP. Uh, you've no idea when you enter for the first time what you'd expect. It's It looks it's much bigger. It looks much bigger on the inside because you don't have the seats or anything. You have a big, you know, you have all these mission systems and, uh, you know, other things. It's, it's a very different kind of uh, feel on, on, the, on the aircraft. So you really, uh, I call it my time machine actually sometimes and <laughs> using Doctor Who analogy where it's bigger on the inside if you've seen Doctor Who time machine. Um, but anyway, uh, yes, I do get to fly and, and I love it
1: sounds like so much fun. And this has really been fun today, getting to talk with you and learning so much more about Sophia. Thank you, Nasim, for taking time to talk with us.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure, Dina. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about Sophia and about myself. and And I hope that we continue to make discovery and inspire the next generation.
1: You'll find Nassim's bio and links to related resources on our website at apple.nasa.gov podcast, along with the transcript of today's episode. For more information and conversations about what's happening at NASA, check out other NASA podcasts at nasa.gov podcasts. If there's a topic you'd like for us to feature in a future episode, please let us know on Twitter at NASA Apple, that's A-P-P-E-L, and use the hashtag Small Steps, Giant Leaps. As always, thanks for listening.